I think the more that especially kids coming out of school can learn to lean into their EQ positioning, uh, being able to read the room, having empathy, it, it translates really, really well to the revenue side, in my opinion. And the best leaders, which I've been really, really fortunate to work for a lot of really great people, all have that high on their skill set. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. At Work in Sports, our core tagline for about 20 years has been make your passion your career. Get you, right? We all love sports, the drama, the intrigue, the business side of operations, the hope of a new season. So our working theory has always been, why not make your job something you feel passionate about? But there's always some nuance here. What if your passion is more specific than just sports? What if it's hockey? What if it's pickleball? What if it's tennis? That's more specific than just saying, I want to work in sports because I love the global sports industry. You have a direct passion. Do you pursue that passion with laser focus? Or do you get started in the sports world by following best opportunities and then look to refine later? I'm not going to give you my opinion here. I'm going to leave that to today's guest. Riley Danford is the Senior Manager of Partnership Sales for the San Francisco 49ers. Growing up, he was a great baseball player. In fact, he has a perfect game profile, still out there, circulating on the internet, gives his whole bio, his scouting report and everything. And I'm pretty jealous of his luscious baseball locks, you know, got the hat on, the, the flow happening underneath. I've never been able to rock the long hair and I've always wanted to. So I'm, I'm a little bit jealous. It bums me out a little bit. I'll be honest. Riley's passion is baseball and he is from San Diego. Get this. His first gig out of college at the University of Oregon after graduating was with the San Diego Padres. Dream scenario. That's my hometown. I love baseball. Work for the San Diego Padres. So you may be thinking to yourself, okay, Riley's advice is going to be pretty straightforward here. Pursue your exact passion, that exact sport that you want to work in, where it makes sense, and get after it. Well, you're going to have to listen and find out because, truth be told, Riley has gone on to work for all four of the major sports leagues, hitting the career cycle. He worked for the Padres, the San Jose Sharks, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Portland Trailblazers. So there's literally no one to better educate everyone listening on the various work environments of sports, how to pursue that first step, and how to grow through new opportunities. It's never as simple as it may seem. So listen up, pay attention, let's learn a little something from listening in with my friend, Riley Danford. Hey, Riley, what's happening? So excited to have you on the show today. Brian, good to see you. Very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. We've been trying to do, so a little behind the scenes action. Riley and I have probably had to cancel and postpone and reschedule this like, I don't know, six times. So I'm just really excited to see your face this morning and make this happen. I joked this morning, I'm probably uh, on the list of the short list of neediest guests ever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, very uh, appreciative of your patience. It's been a, a hectic, but really great time uh, in my life with moving down here to Bay Area, which we can get into. But yeah, a lot of fun and excited to be here. Yeah, no, this is great. I'm, I'm just glad that we get to do it. So, okay. We have a lot of important topics to talk about. We have a lot of great advice we're going to share with the audience. But let's start out a little differently than that. <laughs> On your Twitter profile, you call yourself a uniform czar. 
that piqued my interest. It's one of those things when I start doing research and I see something like that, I'm like, okay, got to ask about that. So explain. Yeah, sure. It's like a, it's like a bit on top of a bit. <laughs> but oh, it kinda, I like it already. It, it kind of like plays into kind of my fiber. So, you know, I, I grew up in an era where like I'm reading every sports blog that there is out there. ESPN page two, Bill Simmons. Oh, yeah. Uh, but my guy guy was Paul Lucas, who ran the UniWatch uh, subset of page two on ESPN. I couldn't get enough of that. I And he would like drop links into every little mini uniform augmentation he found all across the <laughs> uniform universe. And he would have writers write in and, and uh, catch things that he missed. So that's always kind of been baked into my whole love for sport. And actually, I think it's kind of telling too, because in a lot of ways, like your uniform, your brand, your color scheme is the first thing that fans interact with and it kind of lodges in their memory. Yeah. Uh, but some friends of mine in college, obviously uh, Bill Simmons was a huge, obviously podcasting and oh, yeah. writing and kind of his sense of style and, and humor has always been a part of our, you know, inside jokes. And so over the years, I've had a, one particular friend refer to me as the uniform czar. So anytime that there's like a happening in the uniform world or a sports team rebrands, he'll always, you know, reach out to me and say czar question mark and get my take on things. <laughs> so, um, and I'll drop one bit of news, uh, Leeds United, which is actually in the, the family here at the oh, 49ers. Oh, that's right. You guys, are, yeah, that's I forgot Just, about that. Uh, yeah, it, which is a really exciting development. Just released their new home kit for the 23-24 season, and it looks really sharp, I must say. I'm not always a big fan of that particular manufacturer of uniform, but I think this one looks really good. Oh, that's cool. I'm going to have to check that out now, too, because I've always yeah. I was supporting Leeds a lot this last year because there were so many Americans on the team with Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney and Brandon Aronson. So um, I know their jerseys well, so I'm, I'm excited to see what you guys have done with them moving it forward. It looks really good. Cool. Really, yeah. really sharp color scheme. Okay, well, I have to tell you, too, there's a... Uh, so I'm from Boston, which means I'm a Patriots fan, and that's where my loyalties live. But there's a there's a guy that's a blogger in that area. He actually works for the Patriots now, but he had a whole database of, like, how the Patriots did based on what hoodie-style Bill Belichick wore. And so that's right up your alley, man. There's, there's like, he had a whole database on color schemes and whether the sleeves were cut off or whether, it, what version it was of his hoodies, which I think, I mean, he might compete with you for that uniforms are title. Hey, that's uh, some sicko stuff. And I love it. <laughs> uh, the whole like home road splits, wearing your dark uniforms on yeah. night games. I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So like I said, I tend to do a lot of research for these episodes and this is perfect timing since we're in MLB draft season too. I checked you out, man. You had a pretty sweet, perfect game profile on you. Six foot, 165, a legit high school baseball prospect. This was my favorite quote from your scouting report. He has a nice swing and he makes consistent contact. He's also an excellent student as well. So I laughed at that thinking. Now looking back, you really leaned into the excellent student part uh, since you're not playing in the major leagues right now. But what was that experience like? Do, I credit to you, Brian, you do your homework. <laughs> um, yeah, not in the major leagues. And I think a big part of that is that was written when I was a sophomore and uh, six foot really was my, my plateau. That was sophomore in high school. That was the end of the story. But no, I, you know, sports was always such a critical part of my life, not only as like a recreational hobby, but just a source of friends understanding kind of the basis for hard work, being able to like pour my attention into something. It was also something that my family bonded over was baseball going to Padres games. I grew up in San Diego, which is, you know, obviously a hotbed for, for baseball where you can play year round and kind of yeah. early for better or worse specialization. 
in a particular sport. So, you know, you name the league or the travel division, I was probably playing in it. And I think with most sports, you see this a lot in our industry, Brian, they recruit from former athletes because it breeds like a mentality of um, hard work and determination, but also coachability, um, the ability to kind of bounce back. And in, in particular, in a sales position, like that ability to receive criticism or a no and kind of repurpose that as a as a win or kind of your next step in, in the process, I think is really important. Um, and, and, you know, the excellent student thing, I, I was an okay student. I, I my dad, <laughs> my dad did a really good job growing up of kind of instilling this in me of like, you know, treat school like it's your job when when that most important thing kind of do do your best in that role. And, um, you know, perfect game gave me a little shot. It's kind of nice too. I'd like that little snippet you said there about the ability to bounce back. And I've always said that student athletes do often make the the best hires, the the competitiveness, the coachability, the teamwork, the leadership. Like there's a certain level of dedication it requires to be, you know, focused on training and all the other responsibilities and travel and yet still getting your studies done. So I, I do think that's a, it's a great feeder ground. I have so many student athletes that'll say, oh yeah, but I don't have a chance to do internships or my schedule is too tight. It's like, you're getting great experience in just other ways. Go Looking at your story and background a little bit, College University of Oregon, you jumped right in. Uh, you did internships or at least volunteering work in the SID department, athletic comms, television broadcast. I, I like this attitude of trying out a myriad of things. Was that kind of your approach was, I'm going to try things, see what really resonates with me. And in the in the end, you ended up pursuing more sales-related roles. How did that progression kind of come for you? Yeah, for sure. It's it's a windy road. And, you know, in some respects, I stumbled into this idea of being able to try a lot of different or observe a lot of different mechanisms within an athletic department. But it really came from like a central theme of like, just get involved, right? Like, yeah. for me, it ended up being sports information directing and kind of the communication side of the business. But, you know, something I tell students I interact with in various uh, volunteer work or classroom seminars is, is, you know, just get involved, whatever that means for you. Um, just, just give it a shot. Um, for me, <laughs> funny story, actually, I found this position on Craigslist of all places and, uh, sent in, you know, a resume, which at that time had Panera bread associate. On it. There wasn't <laughs> much to it. Right. It doesn't yeah. take a lot to get involved. You know, it's yeah. half the, half the battle is just, is just going for it. And it turned out to be one of the best experiences I could have ever asked for just with the exposures to those different divisions, working in sports information, you're, you're thrust. What I felt like was a lot of responsibility and in retrospect, maybe not so much, but you're kind of the engine behind the, the website, the broadcasts, the game entertainment, uh, for all the different sports that happen. And at university of Oregon, that's quite a few upwards of 30 yeah, sports. Yeah. It paid on a stipend basis, which meant. Uh, for every game I worked, I was able to collect a certain amount of money, which wasn't very much, but uh, you would kind of hunt out the games that you wanted to be at. Um, I always joked the best games to work were the softball games because they would run double headers. Those games would be over in 45 minutes and you collect two stipends <laughs> and, and you're back to your weekend activities. Strategic thinking but, at an early age. I like that. Exactly. You got to be kind of coy with it. But, um, you know, was able to work on a ton of really cool projects. My, my very first thing I worked on was actually the outgoing athletic director's resume. So very first project was sharpening up someone's resume all wow. the way to being the talent stats at a broadcast for ABC ESPN. 
uh, for basketball. It, it really was everything and anything in between. And it kind of gave me this like sense of understanding of a, like how a business operates, like this sense of professionalism, but also to your point kind of led me in the direction of like, all right, what, what do I see for myself? I, I don't think the communications arm of sports is, is necessarily for me, but I'm not really sure what is. Um, and I know kind of what pro sports is, is maybe still the goal for me, like the ending in, in a large metropolitan city yeah. or working for, you know, at the time a baseball team was really important. Uh, but without the context of that first role, I don't think it would have put me in a position to have that understanding. Cause as we chatted about before this, like you think you you know what you want to do, but until you kind of take that step and go for it and start to get that um, experience and dabble in a couple of different things, you're never really sure. And that's maybe a lifelong process for some people. I was just lucky enough to kind of have that as my first experience. So that right after college, you get hired by your hometown team, the San Diego Padres. So you're from San Diego. You get hired by the Padres. That's not easy. Getting a big league job is hard. And then also getting a big league job in a market that you're familiar with. I mean, my first job, I'm from Boston. My first job was in Atlanta. I had never been to Atlanta before. So this is a unique part of the sports industry that often you have to relocate, which you have done a lot of. But, you know, to get started in your hometown, working for the Padres, what do you remember about that hiring process? What stands out to you? And why do you think they ended up saying, yep, you're our guy, Riley? Yeah, no, it's, um, I think this is a great point in my journey to recognize that I've been very, very fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of really great people who have not only taken the time to offer advice, but to, you know, coach me up on, on my approach. And the reason why I say the approach is, you know, it is very daunting and very difficult to have like a relatively empty resume stand out in a stack of the, the pool of people, the sheer volume that would like to work in professional sports, let alone a baseball team, let alone in San Diego. Right. So how do you how do you go about pulling the right levers to stand out in the haystack, right? For me, um, legendary professor at the University of Oregon, Dennis Howard, he's running a lecture that I'm sitting in, and he kind of offhand mentions that we have uh, a fellow Oregon Duck running the show down in San Diego. Now, that turns out to be uh, Jared Dillon, who's uh, now the, the president of Orlando FC and, and one of my mentors in the industry. The story goes that he put on his calendar uh, some Oregon kid uh, to connect <laughs> with for 30 minutes, but he gave me an opportunity to chat with him. And it was really less about any job openings per se. It was about, you know, advice he had early on. And I, I think that's been really impactful in, in a number of ways, not only to get on the path to that first position, but just instilling in me the sense of like paying it forward and, and being able to be open to informational interviews and kind of helping the next generation that comes along. You know, they had an inside sales ticket sales position open. So that was one of the few that I had applied for. A couple others were on the East Coast. But the story goes is that I kind of built up this CV working at the SID Department yeah. of Oregon, where you're working on all these tactile projects. So anything from like a media guide that you're doing Photoshop work for to writing bios to the transcripts of a live event. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I sat through a tennis match and kind of did the live blog with parents that were overseas watching their, their kids yeah. through this live blog. So I have this big CV. And my approach was to overnight FedEx a, a box of my resume, CV, cover letter to the inside sales managers who I presumed were running the hiring process. So the story goes that uh, Justin Peckis, another uh, mentor of mine in the industry, uh, has never, did never open the FedEx box. The fact that I'd sent it was enough for him to, to think, okay, oh, this guy's cool. worth, worth a call. So, um, but yeah, it was, again, very lucky to land in a city that I was familiar with. 
I was like brought into that inside sales group with a class of other kids out of college, um, some a little bit further out of college than me, uh, but to kind of be their guide to the city, but also see it through their perspective of a new place, oftentimes traveling from across the country was really impactful for me. And then I mentioned Justin, but Jason Green, who's with the Clippers now, they were so um, influential in molding kind of what it means to to work hard to shape kind of the building blocks of uh, sales culture for me. Um, and, and we can kind of go into that about like what that role was. But that was kind of my story of how to kind of stand yeah. out. It, it, it's it, this, I think the mentality is like, how can I be unique and different? How can I position myself in maybe a different way? But then also kind of take advantage of, of the steps prior, which was connecting with my professor, making the outreach to the, the VP of tickets at the time, Jared, and kind of pulling on those levers. I really want to hammer that. I was going to circle it back, even if you didn't, but I want to make sure everybody really hears this. People ask me all the time. I'm sure they ask you all the time. Uh, how do I start networking? Who do I start networking with? The absolute best place to start is with alumni of your program. Like there's a warm feeling there with people out in the industry when they see, oh, this is a University of Oregon undergrad and that's where I went. There's a warm connection there. They're going to be willing to give you 30 minutes of a conversation. Start places like that. And that really worked well for you. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it if we were to go a layer deeper, it's that instant level of like shared experience. Yeah. And a, a big thing I like to talk about with networking is it doesn't necessarily need to be that you're like from the same part of the world or you went to the same school. Maybe it's like you like the jacket they're wearing or like yeah. you think they have cool shoes on or like uh, you see something in their Twitter bio that resonates with you. It can be yep. any number of things where it's not your first outreach to them isn't necessarily asking for something because I think that's probably a pitfall in a lot of um you know, students or people kind of coming up in the industry's um, process is, you know, instantly be like, can you do this for me or, oh, yeah. you know, X, Y, Z. Um, so the more you can lead with something that either brings value to the person you're reaching out to or creates a common bond first without any instant ask, I think is, is a huge um, tip I would give. Plus 100. Agree on that completely. I love to hear it because I get a lot of outreaches. I'm sure you do too, with where it's initially somebody asking me for something and I'm like, I, I, I can't operate that way. Like it just doesn't, it, I'd love to, I'd love to help everybody. It's just not scalable. So it's gotta be a different approach to that. Okay. So that first gig with the Padres, how did you feel about sales initially? Cause that's a big jump for a lot of people. A lot of the first jobs that are available in our industry tend to be in sales, but that doesn't mean everybody is meant for sales. So how did this fit well with your personality and what did you kind of find out about yourself in those early years? I mean, that is a, uh, uh, a huge question because I can answer it a number of different ways. I think to start my um, eagerness to be working for a team that meant so much for me growing up, my mentality was like, I'm going to make this work because I, I knew that I didn't want to look back and say this was a, a poor experience. Did I know how to sell anything at that point? Absolutely not. Like I stumbled into a, a career where, you know, I kind of gone to school for a marketing degree that kind of translated into a, a sports business and business management degree. Um, through Oregon's kind of specialization program. But for me, sales kind of represented this really like daunting, kind of like interesting lifestyle that maybe wasn't for me, maybe not all that creative. Boy, was I wrong with that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the parts of the aspects of my personality that worked really well for it initially was just that kind of athlete mentality of like, um, you get up and you do it again. Because it takes a lot of repetition, not only to like hone your skill and your craft, but also to get and have success in a sustained basis. I, 
you know, I think um, another pitfall too in this is that, you know, I, I looked at it as I have this sports marketing background and I went to University of Oregon, blah, blah, like all these like sports, 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 I had this AD thing. Some of the best sellers I've ever worked with, especially in that inside sales department, were people who had really diverse backgrounds of like what they went to school for. Yeah. And you learn that it's less about your, um, your teaching up to that point. It's how you can relate to people, tell stories, connect with people on something other than what you're trying to sell. And in this yeah. case, it was a 95 loss baseball team without a space of the franchise with kind of like an ownership transition and the fan bases and all that trustworthy of owner, you know, the, the decision-making. And I say that as a fan, because again, this is a kid who went to probably 30 to 40 games a year at Jack Murphy and Qualcomm. And I still mm -hmm. remember the outfield signage and they, they had the clothing brand gap out in left center field and the yeah. Jerome's <laughs> best team in the house. So I felt like I had all this like, um, just like innate understanding of what the fan base has been through and, and kind of the history of the team that I knew that I could impart that into my process. It was more a matter of like learning just the dogged determination it takes to make a hundred cold calls a day and understand that you're going to get rejected 85 times out of those yeah. hundred. Yeah. Right. And then beyond that, it's how, you know, learning to care in a way where, you know, there were some days early on when, Maybe you dial 100 and 70 don't pick up 20 your voicemails and you actually have 10 actual conversations and you get through the day, you're like, oh man, that was like relatively not that painful of a day. Because it's really hard to do that, just to strike up a conversation and say, hey, I'm Riley Danford with the San Diego Padres and I just found out I'm going to be your personal ticket sales rep and I see yeah. that you're coming out to games. Like what's brought you out? Like that's an exhausting process, but to learn how to um, think of it in terms of if I'm not having these conversations, I'm not pushing my business forward. If I'm not pushing my business forward, I'm not making money. I'm not advancing my career in that way. So kind of learning that process, understanding that it's more or less about attitude and kind of that will than it is about just like being at the right team at the right time in the right circumstance, um, which is kind of a winding way of saying like the athlete in me married up with the student in me in that yeah. first job. It's awesome. I love how you were able to nail that intro, Scarif, right away, too. Like, you were picking up. You, it was like you were a cold calling just then. <laughs> I Dude, remember I'm telling you. Padres, like, you, I, you still I'm, recall. I'm still on a text thread with a lot, of, uh, a lot of my inside sales class. And I think every one of us to a T could probably, like, from memory, oh, like, I bet. hit that. Because then the challenge becomes like, day, I would hope, yeah. Yeah, it's like the challenges become less robotic and have it sound yeah. more natural. And it, it's such a fun and and like unique experience to go through that as a first job where you're in this room, you hear everyone's calls and like, you're just, you're bonded with these people and you're doing a really difficult job at all. Everybody has higher aspirations and you're trying to be there and like a teammate. It really is that kind of like locker room oh, yeah. uh, that you, you don't get that athletes always talk about is once they're out of the sport. But yeah, it was, a, it was a, a amazing position to learn the basics behind negotiation, like positioning, kind of like listening yeah. as a skill, which I think kind of gets lost on a lot of people these days is it that does. it has to be here and now and transactional, but the, the art of listening and to like process and understand what people are saying before you have something to say back is, is something you learn in that role. Uh, whereas going into it, you kind of, and I think everybody's guilty of this. You kind of craft what you're going to say before the other person's even done speaking. Yeah, um, right. but think how many good conversations that's ever led to at like a party or a networking event, probably not very many. It's true. And there's so many parallels because I started out in the broadcast media and, and, you know, same sort of almost locker room environment. All of us were 
working late. It was a lot of young people graduating college, coming into these roles, editing game highlights, watching games, shooting the shit over games, you know, like that kind of stuff. And then also like learning how to interview other people and have those kind of conversations. And it's, it's the same end result. You have to be an active listener rather than thinking about what you're going to say next, different roles. But like, I, I feel so many of the parallels of what you're saying and, and that ability to be a good listener and not just be thinking about your next words coming out of your mouth robotically to follow a script is a skill. It's a learned skill. Um, I, I'm really intrigued by this. You had from day one, a passion for baseball. That's very clear. You got, you were from San Diego. You got a job at the San Diego Padres. That to me feels like an edge case. Like that doesn't happen a lot from my experience talking to a lot of people. In your recollection or if your advice to others, would you suggest young people follow a sport they're passionate about and really try like, I love the NFL. I want to try to get a job in the NFL. Or is it more stay broad, try to find a good opportunity at a stable organization or stable business or whatever it may be and, and, and figure things out as you go. What, would, what advice would you give to people that are out there looking right now? I lean the latter. And the reason I do is that to close yourself off to opportunities, just because they're outside of a sport you're more comfortable with or more passionate about, if you have larger goals of being in the industry long-term, could preclude you from a growth opportunity that would yeah. serve you later on. If you're in a position where you're lucky to have options, which is something that does not come around very often fresh out of college, it's maybe a little bit of a different equation, right? Where you can lean towards either a particular region or city or sport that could then translate into your passion for the work. I think the the potential pitfall there is, is thinking that just because you played baseball growing up and you're from a particular town and now you're working for that hometown team means that you're going to have success. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. And, and I can kind of, I, I think about that in terms of a, a few roles down the line for me when I was working for the San Jose Sharks. I knew nothing about hockey. Yeah. I had been living in the Bay Area for about a year, a little less than a year. And all of a sudden, a minor league hockey team is relocating into the Bay Area. And it was my role to go out and sell sponsorship for it. If I had had that job right out of college, I probably, not, probably wouldn't have known any different. I would have just launched into it and looked at it as a great opportunity and, and gone for it. Versus when you're a little bit later into your career, you have a little bit more jurisdiction on um, the path that you take and, and um, if that's something you're passionate about. At the time, I had grown to know that like this industry is a career for me. It's not just a job. And this is the best opportunity on paper to be able to advance me to the next position to ultimately have more success. But out of college, it's not always the case, as we know. And so I would recommend taking a more broad approach, trusting the people around you. Don't make these decisions in a vacuum. Understand that the path to success doesn't necessarily have to be A, B, C in a linear fashion. It can wind yeah. a little bit. It can be a sidestep. Side it could be a step back. Um, but something I try to impart on people a lot is like, understand your own story. Be able to position yourself in a way of like, why did you do X? Or yeah. why did you do Y? And I think from that perspective, you can't, you can't fail um, so long as that you're making an impact and, and doing, your, doing good work at the positions you're at. But if you have that story that can kind of weave together the decisions you've made, that's as good as any resume. I love that. I think it's so smart. Um, it, it's, it's hard to, in our industry, I mean, everybody knows sports is huge, but there's actually, it's a small world too. And you don't want to close yourself off many opportunities. You want to look as far and as wide as you can. And I think it's really interesting because right now, you are the senior manager for partnership sales at the San Francisco 49ers, which means you have hit for the career cycle. You are probably one of the first interview guests that I've had that have worked in all four of the major league sports. 
You worked in the minor, Major League Baseball for the Padres, as we mentioned. You just mentioned the San Jose Sharks in NHL. You worked for the Portland Trailblazers in the NBA, and now twice for the San Francisco 49ers. Um, so you've been open to every opportunity, which I love, except you <laughs> seem to be against the East Coast. But you're kind of a. <laughs> but other than that, as you've traveled through the different sports, do you notice a lot of nuances and difference in approach or in personas or in potential market that you're addressing? Or is it sports, pro sports? They're all kind of similar. Another good question. It, it's a little bit of both and it's a lot case by case. So the model as a whole, team to team, doesn't change. You have your you know, tried and true revenue streams that are fairly consistent. Now, the size and scope of each of those tend to vary based on the league and based on the team. For example, the revenue sharing model in media in football is a lot different than the RSN network. Uh, sorry, sorry, RSN model with pro basketball or oh, yeah. baseball, as we're seeing. I think what doesn't change is, particularly in like a fairly straightforward revenue role, is the need is the need to understand your position in the market, understanding the value you bring to a particular company or business that has a certain set of challenges or needs um, and presenting yourself as a solution in, in such a way. I think team to team, what I've discovered is that teams really are small businesses, a lot of them like family run in a lot of ways. And so they have these unique set of values that a lot of like larger corporations tend to lose sight of. And a, and a partnership with a team can mean kind of uh, reinvesting in some of those core values that brands like to talk about. So my experience working for different teams in different leagues, again, it's largely like case by case, but the broader scope of like how the teams make money are relatively the same. My experience across each are kind of fun though. I, I you know, there's pros and cons to each of them. Um, yeah. In baseball, you have this massive canvas of a season where you have 80 oh. plus home games yeah. to tell a story, to engage with clients, to sell inventory. Um, on the downside, you're working a lot and you're there a lot of nights. And I think you've seen like the culture within baseball relax a little bit. So it's not quite as, you know, suit and tie every single home game. And this is not to like, you know, stand on my soapbox. But my early memories of working Padres games were you were standing out at a sales table and trying to get people to walk up and spin the wheel for a seat upgrade and yeah. talk to them about, you know, ticket packages. In football, it's a little bit more like, um, this blue chip mentality, uh, where you, uh, you know, you're the big kid on the block and it's our role to represent as such. But at the same time, football represents something that is like so relatable to so many people here, particularly those who have like pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and built a company or like are in a position to make decisions and are, um, managing people. And this idea of like a, a, a 22 player field is like really intriguing in that perspective. I think it really relates to the business mind. Then you flip the script and talk about hockey and it's like, well, those are some of the most passionate sports fans you, you're going to find, right? Like yeah. it indexes right up there with NASCAR from like a ability to follow the brand and feel like they're supporting the team through buying goods and services through partners. And, and the way that we would translate that into success off the field was kind of leveraging that passion. And then to close out with basketball, it's kind of a little bit of both, right? You're kind of selling more of the visibility. It's more of a global game, like the the way that they've marketed and, and moved towards like this international model, I think is really uh, positive and, and brought a lot of really good things into our organization. But you're kind of positioning off of that in terms of scope and how many eyeballs are on the team. So it's less about, you know, 
my MBA defined marketing rights and more or less like here's a generation of, of kids that relatively are uh, not as into sports as the previous generation, but they're really into YouTube. And how can we reach them on a platform like that where our partner brands are receiving exposure and bringing an additive element to watching their game? So, I mean, my experience has been different across each team and league, um, but all super, super positive. And I, I'm just happy to be back in the NFL. I know you mentioned this yeah, my second yeah. time here, but um, yeah, I guess I guess that's kind of oh, yeah. a rambly version of that. No, answer. it's all good. So I have a friend in sports recruiting and I asked them recently, what's the hardest role for you to fill? Where's that big challenge? So when I was working in television, it was always really hard to find good technical directors. That was like a hard role to fill. And he said, without blinking an eye, he said, partnership sales uh, and, uh, and sponsorship sales, 100% hardest roles to fill. He said it was hard to find the people with the right mix of skills for these positions. Two-part question for you. Does that surprise you to hear since this is your ecosystem? And what do you think are those skills that are paramount for success in partnership sales? If somebody out there is listening and saying, wow, everything Riley's saying sounds really interesting to me. What is that mix that they need to develop? Yeah, another great question. I'm going to start at the end because I think that's probably most important to people listening. I think number one, it takes creative thinking. And that's not necessarily like, how can I align a sponsorship campaign to a, we call them assets here within the scope of the team. and Maybe that equates to like a sign or a call out in the broadcast. I, I think of creative thinking as I am listening to this prospective partner and they're outlining a certain set of problems or initiatives that they're having challenges with. How can I prescribe a solution that works to accomplish those goals for them and creates a win-win situation for us? Because at the end of the day, as, as much as my title may say sales, it, it really shouldn't feel like a sale. It has to be a win-win or else it's it's no good for either party, uh, whether it's the person who controls the, the purse strings on the opposite side of the table or for our side. The last thing we would like is a partner that goes through the cycle of the term of their contract and doesn't renew. So we want longstanding relationships. I think the second thing is task management. Uh, this is something that I, I struggle with and have to consciously work on um, daily. But the idea... Yeah, who doesn't, right? Right. But the idea of having... Um, multiple projects on various paths and at different points in those paths, often running parallel to each other, can be a challenge. Oftentimes, yeah. it steps into worlds outside of your partnership bubble. Um, and so the ability to kind of manage those programs, but keep yourself organized is really paramount. And then I think the last thing that I think transits really, really well to a, a sports sponsorship role and really sales role in general is empathy and the ability to lead with understanding and compassion um, and earnestness. Because at the end of the day, like we're creating relationships first, you, you, you're selling yourself really, instilling that trust in the product or the service, and then welcoming them into what we call the family, which is not hyperbole. Like they are part of our world, whether they like it or not. We spend 90% of our time talking about outside companies. That's just yeah. the reality of our departments. And so I think the more that especially kids coming out of school can learn to lean into their EQ and understand that, um, you know, positioning, uh, being able to read the room, having empathy, it, it translates really, really well to the revenue side, in my opinion. And the best leaders, which I've been really, really fortunate to work for a lot of really great people, all have that high on their skill set. Is, is it a difficult role to find? I think probably the numbers would say yes, certainly, Brian, your example yeah. of, of a friend in, in the hiring and recruiting world seems to think so. I think there might be a number of factors that lead to that. 
it's tough to talk about this too, as someone who's in this role, because I don't want to like tout it too much as like, this is like the end all be all. But I do think it takes a level of success to get to this role for, for management teams to trust that you can accomplish the job. Right. And for me, that looked like selling tickets at a high level to get to the point where I was um, entrusted with the opportunity to represent the team from a brand perspective. And what I mean by that is when you're selling tickets, it's largely a uh, one size fits all solution. Whereas in a sponsorship world, um, you're representing so many different aspects of the business and have to speak intelligently to what everybody else is working to accomplish that it, it instills this need for having experience, right? So that's number one. Number two, what do high, highly successful sellers from an early age uh, graduate to? Management positions. Yeah. So I think what you see is a lot of um, successful sales managers who want to get into the management side, it, it naturally creates this vacuum for like veteran sellers of the actual sponsorships, if that makes sense. It does. And then I think the third factor that you probably see, and this maybe is a little bit outside of my knowledge, but just like anecdotally, what I see is that, you know, like any industry, there's an element of poaching that happens where if you're doing well at one thing, there's going to be another industry that takes notice and you become more valuable the way you can position it. And if you're really good at that element of positioning your own brand that you work for, you're probably good at positioning yourself as well. Um, so you see a little bit of that as well, that too. Yeah. What I'm encouraged by is that there doesn't seem to be any drop-off in interest in this role. So if I'm your friend in this recruiting position, I'm sure it's not a matter of want. It's just a matter of like, are there enough people further down the pipeline funnel that are working to hone their craft? Yep. And the hope that I have as a future manager is that people are being given the right tools so that when they're in position to set, to raise their hand, say, I'm ready for a sales position, maybe they're moving out of an activation role into a sales position or vice versa, that they've kind of had that, um, that seasoning to be at a place where they can step into a little bit more responsibility, as I mentioned, responsibility in this case being representing and kind of being the mouthpiece for the other departments within an organization. This is such a great conversation. I want to be respectful of your time too. So we'll, we'll wrap up with this. I think one aspect of the sports industry that we probably don't give enough oxygen is the teamwork aspect. You know, we, we don't tend to work in silos. Yes, it's a sales department, but you cross over amongst a lot of different groups. And to be successful in any of our roles, there is a lot of cross-functional work. There are rely, other people that you rely upon. Um, when you're working in your group or at different organizations or whatever, how important is that to identify those people who work well as part of a team? How important is it to have that as part of your skill set to be successful in the sports industry? I would say it's paramount. And it should be top of the list of anybody who's an aspiring candidate to work in sports is this idea of, A, um, how are you going to raise others around you up? And B, like, how receptive are you going to be to being coached and being told that maybe your way isn't the best way? And what that creates is this attitude that where everybody wants to be better um, and that team can really shine. I think that you hear a lot of like, you know, you spend the most time around the people you work with even more than your families or, and stuff like that. And, and it, it is true in, in all industries, but particularly in sports where we're working nights and weekends and travel. Um, we're heading, we're heading to Tahoe here in a bit for a prospecting event and, you just you spend a lot of time around these people. It you need to invest in those relationships first, uh, but just having that attitude or that backdrop of like I can be successful within the uh, the um, structure of a team is, I would say, of the utmost importance. But really, what does that come back to? It's 
the ability to be coached, the willingness to be empathetic, to invest yourself in others, to be able to share your, your story um, and find common ground with your teammates. And that positions you to be really successful because what you're going to find when you do that is that people are much more willing to help you or like coach you along or like be a mentor um, if you're open and receptive and understanding, polite and respectful and all those things, right? Which all kind of funnel back into being a good teammate. Love that. Riley, oh gosh, what a great conversation. Thank you for so much for sticking with me and making sure we could schedule this and have this happen because I know our audience is better for it. I know I am as well. So thank you so much for coming on today. Such great advice. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thanks to Riley for coming on the show. Really enjoyed that conversation. I love that he has experience in all the different work environments in sports, the nuance, the personas, the approach, the strategies, because it does vary between leagues and it does vary between audiences. And for somebody like him working in partnership sales, boy, big upside, a lot of potential there, a lot of earning potential there. And, and seeing it from his point of view on how he's pursued his career has really been interesting. So thanks to Riley for coming on the show. Thanks to all of you for listening. And I'll see you next week.